Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this special interview episode of It's a Fandom Thing. On this episode, I was honored to speak with author T.M. Dunn to discuss her latest novel, Her Father's Daughter. This book skillfully weaves together domestic suspense, a desperate police investigation, a love affair, and a serial killer on the loose. The story follows 25-year-old Linda Donovan, who has spent her life working for her father, Anthony, at Donovan and Daughter Exterminators in New York City. On the anniversary of her mother's death, her father makes his annual visit to his late wife's grave while Linda heads to a Park Avenue apartment building to work solo. When she arrives, she finds the body of an elderly resident partially eaten by rats. The gruesome death not only speaks poorly of the Donovan's exterminating services, it also points to foul play. When the cops show up, they demand to speak to Linda's father. But despite her efforts to contact him, Anthony has gone off the radar. As he evades a possible murder charge, Linda's father records in five notebooks and five damning acts the story of how he met and fell in love with her mother, a previously untold history of familial abuse, tormented souls, and true love gone terribly wrong. So I really enjoyed speaking with T.M. Dunn about this novel, so I really hope you enjoy this interview. Thank you. Well, hello, T.M. Dunn. I am so, so excited to talk to you about her father's daughter. I am um, going to let you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write a novel about a serial killer, but I just wanted to start by saying that if you are fans of this genre, anyone listening, if you're fans of thrillers, uh, serial killer stories, anything like that, you definitely want to check this out. The book is available now, so definitely go pick it up, um, support the author. It's so fantastic. So I want to know what inspired you to want to take on this genre and to write about a serial killer? Well, it's interesting because people have asked, why did I switch genres? And I, or, you know, I don't think I switch as much as it just, this voice started calling me. Actually, um, I started the, I wrote in the father's point of view, the daughter didn't come to much later. And I started this voice without even knowing that he's going to be a serial killer and then started leaning into it. And actually in a weird way, COVID during COVID, um, I wrote a, you know, almost most of it, uh, from this, from the, father's point of view who turns out to be the serial killer um although that's not a spoiler and i guess it kind of called me because i was not necessarily thinking i was going to write a thriller or whatever although the thriller mystery community is amazing and i think people are asking so at the heart of this i wanted to write my dad had had you know he was ill and then he passed away uh right uh right at the, the start of covid and um i started just writing things about a father-daughter relationship. And I kind of wanted to explore that. And just for your listeners, my father is not, a, was not, and is not as far as I know, but the best is that I can testify was not a serial killer. He was a great exterminator. Uh, and that's, a, you know, part of the character. Um, so, but I think what originally, don't mean to ramble here, but what originally got me so obsessed with serial killers, because I've listened, watched everything on TV about them. I've read about them. 
Um, every podcast, I listened to them nonstop when I was driving, tuned from work. And I was always get, why are you so obsessed with them? And I think it's because when I was 12, the infamous, what became known later as the Summer of Sam, the 45 caliber killer, also known as AKA Son of Sam. Um, I think there was uh, some other name he went by, but his, you know, his given name was uh, David Berkowitz, killed my um, good friend's cousin and her boyfriend blocks from my house. Wow. You know, in those days, they didn't even have the term serial killer yet, or the FBI, you know, the FBI didn't actually name it until later. Um, and that particular killer was killing people, turned out in the Bronx, and then later, in, and, they, and also in Queens, and didn't even connect. Uh, I think the two police officers that found out, because they didn't have internet or computers or whatever, was happened to be in a bar having a conversation when they kind of put the case together. Anyway, um, and then it turned out later on that he was my, uh, when he was, caught uh well it was also terrorized let's just put it that way that in my neighborhood and everybody with long brown hair it was dyeing their hair and blonde and cutting it because everyone thought that was his mo that he was killing girls with you know certain brown hair and long so everybody was cutting it and um so i guess the real probably why it was such a big influence i mean if that's not enough is you know you could say that the summer the infamous summer of Sam was also the summer that I went through puberty. So it was a very like big summer in my life. And I think that why somebody does what he does and all that stuff um, just stuck with me. So I don't know. That's a very long answer to your simple question, but anyway. No, but it, that's fascinating. And, um, you know, especially with it sticking with you and especially happening, happening at such a pivotal time in your life and in your transition as as a, you know, going from just a child to teens, to preteens, all that stuff. That's such a huge transition in life. So to experience something like that at that time definitely would leave a mark. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think it's interesting in this novel because, um, which is not giving too much away, but there definitely are blueprints of that. This is like a legacy career almost with this serial killer with um he goes by anthony uh but he is acting is how he always puts it his acting character the character always doing different characters and so why did you decide to do that because serial killers are often thought of as very solo and the lone wolf kind of thing so why did you want to do the legacy part of it i think the legacy came you know i did a lot of research and i wanted to be very careful that um, I didn't, you know, a lot of people, and I understand why we all want to make like, we all want the definite answer, right? Of like why somebody would do this. And I, without going into like, you know, five hours of all the type of serial killers and all the studies that have been done, I didn't want it to be one, you know, there's always that nature versus nurture kind of argument. And I didn't want it to be specifically so clear. So, um, and I also wanted to give, I actually, because I don't think this is giving it away that the, uh, you know, the father character, you know, he, he believes he's an actor, right? And, you know, the, his victims, he sees his characters that he basically becomes. It's kind of a method thing. And because it was very complicated and as the family and history started to develop, I, it just made sense that, um, it would be something passed down from his father who passed, got it from his grandfather. Cause there was just so many things that I don't want to give away. I think that, um, was set up that it just seemed like he wouldn't just have done this without any preparation. And, you know, so, and there's that question, is it the nature versus nurture and that kind of thing? So, uh, yeah. 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 And, uh, I mean, well, it opens in the very like first pages there with, his father hitting him in the head with in the face with a um with a train from a train set, which was just like, whoa, <laughs> you know, very jarring way, but a great way to open it. So, yeah, yeah. he's also grateful for it because he thinks that his yeah. this is his father's way of, you know, teaching him the important things in life, you know, and his craft. And, yeah, it's yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's um, it's disturbing. And I, but I also wanted him, his father was abusive and he as a father is very loving and caring. And I wanted that to be clear 
Um, and I know some readers have had problems, which I get, or felt uncomfortable actually liking him at all. But I, my favorite character, um, one of my favorite characters of all time is Hannibal Lecter, because the author has this amazing way of making you like almost root at times for this character who basically eats people. And now when I've said that, a lot of people say, I don't root for him. And I'm like, okay, well, that's maybe, you know, so I don't know what's maybe I'm talking about my own crazy mind, but there's just something that's very complex. So I wanted this particular person to be very complex and also to show that there are things connected to our love um, that we are able to overcome. I don't know, our true natures or what, I mean, we're able to do certain things in order to give the love that we think is warranted to somebody we deeply care about, in his case, his daughter. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, with with people being shocked by that, by saying, I don't root for Hannibal Lecter or for the villain. Well, the thing is, is that a lot of people do. And, I do, and, and it's a very conflicting thing where it is where, you know, the show Hannibal, there's like huge fandom around that show that oh, yeah, loves no, the character yeah. of Hannibal. You've got the show Dexter, where everybody's yeah. rooting for Dexter. And so it's a very complex thing, not saying you should want people to be serial killers or anything like that. We're not at all saying that. It's just there is that thing. I think, you know, serial killers are known to be charming. So it is kind of charming. Yeah. And and that was what was so fascinating to me was watching this. And there there have been serial killers where they supposedly went dormant for a while or serial serial killers that have families. Yes. So it happens. And that's what was so interesting to me was watching him with his daughter and being so loving and her even saying, because, you know, goes back and forth to, from present day to the past. And in the pa- in the present day, of course, it's his daughter, Linda, talking about it. And Linda is so just loves her dad and thinks of her dad as completely safe. Yeah. And also that you've got to help take care of him. Yeah, that other part too. So I'm wondering though, do you think, I was just wondering through it, do you think that him being a serial killer, do you think he really truly loves his daughter or does he see his daughter as part of this big, huge play he's been performing for years? Kind of. You know, that's a good question. I think he loves his daughter in the way he can love. I think the same way he loved the daughter's mother. And I think, you know, for him, and I think probably even why he was able to like, you know, go dormant on, because you know, on taking on other characters is that being a father is the biggest role in his mind that he could ever do. So he feels like he's achieved, I think, himself in terms of his art, his artistry. And um, so it's, I think it's a combination of both because there is humanity in him, you know, there's humanity, I think in most everybody, I guess, you know, whatever, or, well, I don't want to say humanity because humanity can really suck. Um, But, you know, I think there's something that is essentially what we would, you know, maybe define as good and caring. Um, And, and, and he's also messed up with what his intentions are and his, his, his idea of what's right and wrong, because he's got very specific ideas, but, I don't even think he sees his killing as killing in the same way, you know, um, that we would no- normally see. I mean, it's more complicated as many are, uh, than I think it's easy to like come up with one answer. And I can't even answer it myself because I don't know if I know as well as I think I know this character. I don't think I know all of the reasons he could possibly. I do believe though that he does love in the way he can love his daughter very much. And we all love in our ways. I think as much as he could deeply love, I think he does deeply love his daughter, even if it's connection of himself, which is a whole other part of it. Yeah. You know, so I'm not saying that's, you know, it's complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Very complicated. And the book and- is hopefully less complicated than the way I'm describing it. But anyway, go ahead. Well, I mean, complicated in a good, like it's complex and it's a complicated relationship and situation. I mean, of course. Uh, But I did want to go back to something you said earlier on about and moving to the daughter, Linda, and how when you first started writing this, you weren't writing the daughter at all. Those chapters from the daughter's point of view, because it does go back and forth between the daughter's point of view and the father's point of view. And so why did you decide that it was important to have the present day chapters 
uh, be written from Linda's point of view? Well, it's interesting. The original version um, had just, it was just the father's point of view and it ended at a certain place. Um, and so there was no other, um, there was no daughter element in it, right? It kind of was, that was real time in a sense of the book. You know, I think as I didn't add until, because I started to write the other, the, the serial, the father's point of view, who was actually just who he was, who wasn't necessarily a father at that point. I think the daughter was added more um, around my father, you know, and um, and I really started leaning more into this character, Linda. And actually, one of the versions had two daughters. Um, and I actually will hopefully be using the other daughter for another book I'm writing, which is whatever I won't get into. But um, there's just something about that bond between daughter and um, and the way we I don't know about I'm not going to say, you know, this is the universal's truth, but I think. It was my experience and a lot of women I know that, you know, your father can't do any wrong, right? And your mother is the one who's all messed up and it's all her fault. And and then you get to an age um, where you're like, wow, I thought my dad was right about everything. And I'm now I'm wondering how my mother could even be, be married to him, right? Or have mar- stayed with him. Even if you love your father still, you start seeing that your father is more complicated than you kind of, you know, he's not that person you idolize and worship, but you still love them flaws and all. And, um, and I think there were certain things that I never got to say goodbye to my father. It was, he was uh, in a hospital and we couldn't see him because of COVID. And so I think I started having a dialogue with my father and then it's just turned into like, you know, a lot of the stuff that happens with me into fiction. And I don't know if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. 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 As a way of, it sounds like it was a way of dealing with your grief too and our yeah yeah and also the idea of because it, she loses her father in a sense right in the book yeah and i think it was really me trying to figure out like how you you can't accept the loss and then how you deal with it if you deal with it and yeah so there's a lot connected to that and you know and also the practical thing is you know uh i have really great wonderful shout out to my writing group uh readers and um the father's voice was just a little claustrophobic. And I think that it, in order to give the present time, it just helped to have and that other character. And I just liked the dialogue in a sense between the both of them in a way. So, yeah. And I found having that, having the the separation and having the, the past be told from the father's point of view and then the present from Linda basically being like, you know, it's from first person narrative. I found it was kind of a relief because when you're in the past in the 90s and you're following this serial killer around, it can feel, and you're kind of in their skin, it can feel a little claustrophobic, like you were saying. And so having Linda there relieves it. So it's it was such a nice balance where right when the next part would start was exactly when you wanted the next part to start, if that makes sense. Oh, like, thank you. Well, that was No, that was actually the, the goal, even when I was, you know, because I even wrote both separately and then put them together later, um, you know, in terms of how it was going to be organized. And um, yeah, so that was the hope for that. What I struggled with is that, uh, like I said, you know, the father's um, point of view came easy to me. And I don't know what that means, but anyway, but I also realized that uh, I had to make his point of view slower, you know, the pacing and the details, because it's the way that, I really believe that character would see things like, and his emission of guilt that he is not is like, so that he doesn't see himself as doing anything wrong. So without giving how he sees the world and those details, I couldn't figure out otherwise how a reader would see all these things that he's doing and how horrible it is. If we weren't with him at that kind of pace, if that makes sense. And so when I wrote Linda, because it's in the moment, present time, and there's a lot of things in the moment at stake, it, you know, it was also a little bit freeing because I was able to just move that faster, if that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that, that, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And uh, speaking of that with, um, with the father, with his voice, what was so striking to me, and I don't know if this was done on purpose or it was just me and the way I was reading it is I kept having to remind myself in the past parts that this isn't like 
the 40s or 50s. This is like the 90s. And it was the way he would speak. I kept thinking, this isn't, this is a lot, lot later in time. Was that intentional? Uh, It was intentional. I wanted him to have this like air of, uh, yeah, being a character that was kind of, yes, exactly. That was being a character that would, we would imagine would come out of like, that high society, you know, thespian, you know, full of himself, you know, kind of not that, you know, thespians in the 40s, whatever, were full of themselves, but that kind of like, you know, very formal way of speaking um, that I think both his parents, his mother as well, you know, had with, about them. So that I, re- so it does seem very stilted. And in a sense, I think the way he seems to perceive life it really is this kind of past world, right? Like he, you know, um, that he feels, I, I think would be more comfortable in than even modern day, you know, I mean, that's not specifically said, but I did want him to seem like unusual, you know, um, which could be quirky or charming or just disturbing depending on like, you know, how you look at it. I guess. Yeah. And depending on who you are, who encounters, yeah, exactly. because I think for Rebecca, who is the, the woman mother. that he marries and the mother and, and she, Linda never knew her because what we learned in the very beginning is that she killed herself. And, um, every year they celebrate the anniversary of her death. And this is more something the dad wants to do. <laughs> and that's not a spoiler alert. And there's a lot more around it's that. It's not a spoiler. No, it's right in the very beginning. Yeah. So that's not a spoiler at all. And so it was so interesting going when you go back in time and he talks very openly about meeting Rebecca and Rebecca being so drawn to him. And it seemed like because she was an artist and because of his eccentricities, seem to attract her did you think that's kind of why she was attracted to this yeah well i also think that um you know she kind of i think they both kind of knew she knew who he was right but not in the sense of what he did on her side it i think her intentions in the beginning may have been a little different and then i just think i do think she does um fall in love with him for things that she wasn't expecting so and i also think that also as an artist and i you know and hopefully i set her up enough that you know, she's has this, well, not because she's an artist, but she's, you know, that starving artist. So she has a past we don't know too much about, um, but she does see the world, you know, from different things. So I think there's something that, you know, like people that are necessarily strange, she could maybe, she would kind of be attracted to to try to figure them out. Right. And, um, and I think there's something about him. And also I imagine her as somebody that, uh, didn't get a lot of attention in her life, you know, um, and that she kind of used her art as a way of express, you know, kind of expressing herself. And I think that he is so verbally expressive. And I think there's something very charming to her, you know, or almost like, you know, this kind of wonderful thing, like, she feels like, yeah, uh, so much like, he cares about me, you know, because he's so attentive to her. And yeah, yeah, I think if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, that does. That does. And I wanted to talk about, and this is not a spoiler because it's also, you know, you heard it top huh. top with description, but rats play a huge part. Yeah, I knew that was going to come up. I was going to say, should we talk about the rats? <laughs> I have to. The, I mean, you know, one of the big things is Linda finds the body of a tenant in a place that she, she works for the exterminator and sees a rat on the body chewing and eating away. And then you learn later, which I didn't know about this, about rats, that if rats don't continue to chew, that their teeth grow back up and kill them. Yeah. And I'm wondering, though, with the rats, with using the rats and talking about that, was that at all like symbolism for also the serial killer not doing what they're supposed to do or anyone doing not what they're supposed to do? Somebody else pointed that out with uh, one of my early readers when I was reading it. And I'm like, oh, that sounds good. But I was told, because uh, my last book, which I forgot about also, and that's a very different story, but there's an exterminator and there's mention of rats. I mean, we don't see them like, you know, um, and they don't kill anybody. But I am a little bit obsessed with rats in general, but also, you know, just the idea that what exterminators do, they really do go into people's like my father and I would, you know, help them out. 
you know, you go, he's so he's been in celebrities' house. You go into all these places and people never know you, you're, you know, whether you've come or gone. I mean, because that's the whole thing. You know, you don't want, you, exterminators want to be not seen, not heard, just take away the problem. Um, and so there was something about that profession that I felt like would be work, would work here. And I think that rats are just really fascinating creatures. And it's funny because many people who have read this have like are totally into horror on so many levels and never get disturbed by anything. But this, the rat scene just is disturbing for a lot of people. And it makes me wonder about myself that I'm so almost desensitized a little bit to it because, you know, I mean, I grew up in exterminator as a father and we talked about these things. Of course, my mother would tell us to shut up. But it didn't bother me in the same way. Like, you know, somebody said, uh, what's my fear? If I'm not afraid of rats, I mean, I, I respect them, but fear is not the same thing. But I'm afraid of puppets, right? So, um, and so whatever our fears are, and I think there's something that I, I wanted to play off. And I think it is it is that metaphor of like, there's the bait of the solo rat and then the, the rats that stick together and just also what they can do and not do, right? And yeah, so yeah. Yeah. I just like also a little bit too much. And I was told I can never write anything again with rats in it. Um, but because <laughs> I'm a little bit obsessed, but I, you know, I could spend like an hour, you know, between serial killers and rats. I'm somebody you don't want to have over for dinner. But anyway. Um. <laughs> well, and and, the, and I horror is my favorite genre, as listeners know. And I was one of those that I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> that was like so visceral that the image and it just it was in my head. And I was like. One of those points I was like, I'm glad I didn't read this right before I was eating because then that's I a, yeah. thought about the rat. Yeah. Well, that to actually, as much as I know about rats, I had to do a lot of research to get that part right. Because uh, what would draw a rat? Like, why would there be one? I mean, you know, that I went back and forth on a lot of that, how it fit in, how it didn't fit in. And uh, yeah, so I well, yeah, it was, and I actually even learned more than I previously did before writing this book. So yeah, I will back off. But I will tell everybody that there are all kinds of rats. White rats make great pets, but you do not want to mess with a New York City rat under any circumstances. They're even now showing that they have a different kind of, you know, brain wave patterns. And yeah, they will oh. do not mess with them because they're very, they are scary. <laughs> yeah. My sister had a white rat when we were growing yeah, up. They're great so. pets. Yeah. <laughs> my dad wouldn't even let us have a, get any, you know, a fluffy little guinea pig or any hamster because anything that was in the rodent family. Nope. Yeah. Can't have it in the house. Yeah. Well, that, that makes sense with your dad's Yeah, profession. yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and speaking of that, with, with the whole thing, with the exterminator and with Linda and how she is finally probably going to be breaking free. She's got, she's going to yeah. go, she's been accepted to college. And, but she also has this kind of distance uh, with her relationships, um, yeah. with her intimate relationships and stuff. Do you think that with the job as an exterminator, that it's almost like that's a reflection of her her way of, of looking at the world and looking at other people. And also, of course, her father. But and then do you also think maybe that came from her father in a way? I'm not oh, saying yeah. she's like a serial killer, but you know. No, no, no. But I think it also came from the father, you know, she's a single child. The father basically, you know, worked around her schedule. I mean, she was everything to him. And I think that he and I don't know if this comes across, but he kept her world pretty like protected. So, you know, I think that even as a young kid and then especially with her, rela her relationships later, especially because, you know, she was so worried about because she doesn't just have, the father's not just somebody that takes care of her. She needs to take care of him. I mean, at a very young age, she has to figure out the whole finances for the business, you know, and do the books. And because the father just could, was messing all that up. And um, so I think that she worried so much, which is why she doesn't go to college at, you know, what the standard age at 18 and she waits and stuff. So I think that a lot of her protectiveness is probably, well, I do think it stems from her relationship with her father, the small world they lived in, in that sense, you know, um, I mean, I don't go into her like childhood, childhood, but I imagine, you know, she had limited friends, you know, um, they, he, she has no other family that she know of that she knows of. So I think that that just kept her, you know, from getting too close to people and especially with relationships. You know, I think that it just she just is like, I'm not getting involved. And I think partly because she's so involved with her father that she doesn't have the emotional 
bandwidth um, to deal with anybody else. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, because she is totally a caretaker for him. But yeah. yeah. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then I wanted to know uh, with with this book, since you are writing something that is about a serial killer, and there's a lot of very visceral is just the word that just kept popping into my mind. Was there ever a moment while you were writing this where it was really hard for you psychologically, where you might've had to take a break or were you able to separate yourself from, from the book? If that makes sense. You know, mostly I was able to separate. Um, but what was hard for me was, and and I, you know, I actually, backed away from it but um i'm you know i mean in the, i was when i was writing the scenes or, or basically when, when the daughter the scene with the i don't want to give too much away but there are scenes like where you know her whole world and comes crashing down and i think the law i mean again it is probably connected to my own father but i think it was very hard for me to the emotional intensity around that was hard and I had to take breaks because, you know, and that may have had a lot to do with, you know, what I was emotionally going through, but I, you know, I also just thought that, yeah. And I mean, I actually had to do a lot of journaling and stuff because there were a lot of things that um, I would have probably felt and reacted and I didn't want the character to do that. So I think it was, yeah, she was hard. Um, Writing her character was a lot harder than, um, a lot harder than the father, you know. And when I um, the book's an audio book, uh, that's not a plug, but you can get it. And I just started listening to it, and I really am surprised how much I like, you know, the daughter because I didn't think I liked her as much as I realized. Oh, well, she's not so bad. She's kind of cool, you know. And a lot of people have said they really like her, and I'm like, well, but he's the father, so. And there is something very interesting about her which i didn't think i even saw right probably because maybe you know how we see ourselves in characters but um although she is a composite of many different people so anyway that's interesting because i think that can happen to a lot of um artists in any realm of where you're like oh i don't really like this part or this thing and then you hear from other people that they like that or you go back and revisit it and see I think that's that's fascinating, especially that you heard it and ended up liking it. Yeah, I've been teaching writing for 20 years. And one thing I learned that I got to be reminded of all the time is don't, okay, I used to, you hear all the time, trust your instincts. And I will tell people to always do that. When it comes to writers, I'm like, don't trust your instincts. Okay, a lot of the times, because our best stuff, we think what's our best stuff is usually the stuff that's like, eh, or not really great. And the stuff that we are going to trash. I mean, I don't know if people know that Stephen King's carry that set off his career his wife found that in the garbage can and she sent it in. So the things that we think are trash are sometimes our best work, but we can't see it without somebody else. Now you got to be careful of where you're getting feedback from, but often we can't see stuff that we do well, which is what I'm saying. We got to emphasize to everybody what we do well, because we all know what we do wrong, but what we do well, we don't like know enough to, and then we can build on it. And the other thing that is a little bit off topic, but we was brought up earlier. You don't have to like a character. People are always saying, oh, the character's not likable. And this is a lot of things. Or people are reading, you know, I'm like, well, were you compelled to read? Yeah, they were interesting. Or I really liked the, the, you know, the story, but I didn't like the character. You don't have to, like, I would never want to have dinner with Hannibal Lecter or a lot of these characters, but I'm compelled enough to, to keep reading and 
and following what they do, right? I'm interested enough to spend time with them on the page, even though I'd never want to have dinner or lunch with them, you know, or meet them even in person. So I think there are those two things that as writers, you know, we struggle with. How much, what, what does it even mean that our characters are likable, you know? Um, and then also what's our best stuff and what's not. And, you know, and every once in a while, what we feel is really great. Somebody else will, you know, or, you know, readers will say, yeah, but it's all about perspective, I think. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Yeah. And, and there are so many books, so many great novels where, you know, um, like I, I love Dean Koontz for horror and so many of his novels you'll have like the villain, yeah. you'll have chapters. And of course you're not going to like the villain, but the villain but still has to be captivating and you want to yes, read exactly. more. That's and the a little same complicated where they're not just like, yeah, you know, like some cartoon character, although cartoons are very complicated now, but um, yeah. So, <laughs> and I guess you could say Bugs Bunny was extremely complicated, but look, that's a whole other discussion <laughs> yeah you don't want the cartoonish mustache yeah, exactly yeah villain yeah that's you know, that's think, not interesting yeah, exactly. no and i do think you know there's that whole thing of like pure evil and as i get older i think yeah maybe there's pure evil in the world and reality but in fiction i think why i would love to we read fiction for to get a sense of the world that is a little bit more maybe organized and where their people are more complicated. They're not one way or the other, even though somebody may know somebody that is just one way, you know? Um, but I think that's kind of a lot of um, what we turn to books for, right? Cause we want to see the different sides and we not, we may still want somebody to be defeated or whatever, but we still want to know who they are and why they are, what they do, or, you know, maybe everybody doesn't, but I know it's something that I'm curious about. Yeah. And um, I wanted to know a a lot of these books and a lot of like people kind of assume any book you're going to write or any horror, sadly, people assume this still is going to be written or done by a man. And from that, that perspective, Mm -hmm. did you encounter any pushback on that? No, it's funny, though. um, It's a whole story. So, you know, my given name and what I've written under before is different than, you know, when I moved into the genre publisher said you know now you're in the genre you know the branding and stuff so use another name and my mother hated my given name and that's a whole story of the only name that she knew that she didn't want me to be named is the name that I wound up being named because of somebody in the family as a whole thing so um so I when I had to come up with another name I was going to do what my family calls me is not Patricia which is the given name they call me Trisha because from the they're from the Bronx so I'm Trina with an R at the end and my sister's Trina and Marie is my middle name. So I said, so Ma, I'm going to finally name myself what you insist everybody call me. And I'm going to, it's going to be Trisha Marie. Happy? And she's like, no, that's not a good writing name. I don't know where she got this from. Go with TM Dunn. So I went with that. But a lot of people have asked me, did you go with that? Because people won't know whether you're male or female. And I said, no, because I know in this world, you can't, you, you can hide any of that stuff, um, even if you wanted to. So I didn't necessarily get pushback, but I do feel like, when you, there are so many wonderful thriller writers, mystery writers that are women. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like a lot of attention um, goes to male writers and, you know, I, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I, but it is what it is. And um, yeah. 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 Cause I know being, a, being a woman who is a fan of horror, you still have people that sometimes get shocked by that. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That, well, that people, yeah, they do get shocked by the fact that I have no, you know, the stuff I write about, people are always shocked about. Like, you know, and it's funny because it's a good thing that you said that because when you think about it that way, yeah, I wonder if Dean Kunitz and some of the writers who write horror, if they would be asked the questions of like, why are you writing about rats or, you know, or, or zero, you know, yeah. The, that I could see, you know. Nobody said, oh, that's not very ladylike, but I've gotten that feeling from some people. So yeah. that's, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I was just, I was just curious about that because I know there is sometimes it's, it's the same way when filmmakers and stuff in that genre too, I've spoken to, a, you know, they have that, that same kind of pushback no. of like, well, you're, you're, you're not supposed to be liking this stuff. Why would you want to watch them? Why would you yeah. want to like something that's gory or yeah, stuff like that. So, and I'm wondering I'm curious, going back to the way it's written um, when you have with Linda's chapters, it's, starts there's page says linda 
And then it goes into whatever chapter number. And then when it's the dad, it's acts. So it's like a play. So I'm assuming, did you do that because of that whole yes, acting thing? Yes, because connection to acting in theater. And so, you know, yeah. We, yeah, well, we use devices even if we don't want to, but I figured it was, a, and I wanted to structure. I didn't even know it was going to be notebooks for a long time, but I did want to structure because structure, how books, you know, we all know how things are laid out is really a you know, a way that we tell the readers how to read, how to read the work or make sense of it. So I wanted it to be distinguished enough from her and also because the past and with him, I wrote an ax and didn't have the chapter numbers, which may have helped people have more breaks, but because I wanted it to be more like he's having this long monologue kind of thing, you know? Um, so. Yeah. And that's definitely the way it came across. It's almost like that, you know, the, the solo artist and a solo actor solo performance and yeah. their big huge monologue moment where it's their moment yeah, to shine. Go on, yeah and with this person on and on and on yeah 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 uh and then i'm wondering with that with the acting and with choosing to have the serial killer basically stage it as uh and no pun intended with the stage, no. but stage yeah. is like um, creating characters and he finds a new fascinating character yeah. and that's who becomes his subject and he's going to study with them. And I'm wondering, was there at all a comment on humanity and people playing like different roles in society and like different roles with different people? Yeah, no, I mean, initially um, people, you know, I, you write what you know and um I write a lot about actors. I grew up with a child, uh, with a brother who's a child actor, and I write about exterminators. And I will not be doing that next time, but anyway, or maybe. But I think part of, but I've always like admired how hard, you know, any artist, but especially you know, actors, how much they have to put in, and they have to make other people's words if they didn't write it themselves, their own. And there's something that's, you know, they're not just getting up there and like acting like puppets. I mean, there is a lot you have to do. And actually in some of the most famous movies, the famous lines were ad-libbed by the actors. So there's something very um, true about that, but also meeting a lot of actors in different phases of my life and, you know, studying theater and all that stuff. You really do see how, especially the method there's a lot of different types of acting but how committed you have to be to parts but also who we are in the real world like when people say oh well that's not me that's my work me or that's not me that's my home me i mean i think that's all of us we have all these different parts and you know and that's and we are different depending on our audience and i think the whole world individually very few people function in the world without caring what other people think I mean, there's to different degrees, even those people who say, I don't care what people think, there's somebody you care about. But I do think that we all have our audiences and we are playing different roles based on what they are, you know? So, yeah. So there's a lot of things that I did think about when I started leaning into it and wanted to put, when I started thinking about how he would look at that world, because he really sees it as a pure act and like he's very, less interested in like, of course, in fame as he is of like kind of being the pure artist and and how he goes about that is, you know, I can see disturbing. So, yeah. 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 And it almost seems to me like his role now is Anthony and the exterminator, Anthony Donovan with, you know, yeah. the whole company. It almost seems to me like maybe that's like his, the role he was born to play is what it seems like he kind of thought of that. Well, I think the role he was, he's, Born to play was the role of being a father. Well, yeah, that too. No, no, that too. Yeah. And I think, and, that, and then that's a good thing to to look at because I'm not sure if that was the role he thought he was going to born to play, but I think that was the last role that he played or was beginning to play and and learn before he does become a father. And I think that um, that's just kind of, and given who this particular person that he kind of, you know, becomes or whatever i think it was just some i don't know he kind of could fall into that without a lot of consequences so i don't know if he was necessarily thinks he was born to play but he was definitely going to play it well and that's who he was going to be because it but there were characteristics of this mm -hmm. exterminator father character that he wanted to live and be you know the way he lives the way he deals with people, the world, you know, economic status. There are all these things that he does feel there's more um, 
integrity in than the life that he was born into. Yeah. Yeah. And then lastly, I wanted to know, what did you learn about as much as you feel comfortable sharing, but about yourself as, uh, as a person, and then also as an artist through writing this book? I never imagined myself writing thrillers. I mean, I, that's what I love to read and I watch every movie out there. And I am somebody who do not like my father too. You don't want to go to the movies with me because I'm the one who's trying to figure out everything. And I used to talk out loud in movie theaters. So I got better about that, but at home, forget it. Uh, you know, my daughter and I, like we, we talk about what's even she gets frustrated with me, but we're always trying to figure out what happens next. And when I do see anything that an ending feels like, Oh, all right. I can see how that happened, but I'm surprised. I'm like so happy. Right. So, um, I think though that I was surprised that this particular genre, one, it's an amazing, like I said before, sisters in crime and, and especially the sisters in crime, Connecticut, which I became a member of the community is so supportive of each other and in ways that I, you know, just has been really wonderful, but I, all of the stuff as a writer that I've, you know, studied and taught and, you know, about characterization and twists and turns and tension and conflict in writing a thriller, there's an intensity to it that is hard. And I'm still learning how to get it, you know, right and or better each, you know, time. But so I, I'm just excited by it. So I've, I've learned that this is something that I really like. I really enjoy it. Um, and it is a challenge, very much a challenge. So. I think as an artist, I've learned that and about myself. Okay. I'm a little bit obsessed with certain things. Um, you know, I think about myself, I think I learned a little bit more about like why I, you know, write the things that I write. Like, you know, I used to joke around. I, I say this in front of groups all the time. You don't have to like a book, just buy it. Um, and I still tell people support the authors and the artists and buy their work. But, um, but people who read and get what you're saying and can connect to it. I mean, that's something that um, is pretty amazing and wonderful. And because, and I knew that's what, I, you know, if I didn't have that ego, I wouldn't be a writer. I would just keep a journal. Right. Um, and, but I think that I wasn't the actress or the actor. Um, so I thought that writing wasn't, the same thing in, in a way, you know, it was more of like that quiet, but no, as writers, we're all looking for an audience, right? And as we know from the writer's strike and for other things, writers are usually like, don't get as the respect they deserve, but that's a whole other um, conversation. But I think that I learned how much more important it was that I would write something that people, not every, oh, would relate to um, but also have feelings about. And what was pretty amazing about this is like, I, it's the first time where you can have strong feeling where I would read, you know, or view whatever. And if somebody strongly hated it in the way where like the character, that was okay with me because it's just made me feel like I made people feel something, even if it was discussed. I don't know if that means uh, if that is clear, but I think that I learned that um, genre fiction, especially, there is a lot of um, responsibility that I think John, it's not just like, oh, this commercial fluff. There's a lot of deep meaning in it. Right. And, um, and I think that surprised me a lot and, you know, and how you work with that. And, yeah. Yeah. and I'm still trying to get that right, but you know. Well, there, there is a lot of meaning in this novel. I think it's, there's a lot more to this than just, a serial killer story. So yeah, I and think the people question find is that. figuring out that balance. Like you have mm-hmm. what's called literary. They say, well, the language is pacing. So, and what's called, and I kind of think that, you know, genre fiction could be beautifully written and all that stuff. And, you know, if it's genre, you might have a chance of like getting more readers and, and, you know, making more money than a lot of literary fiction. That's wonderful. Um, but I think that it's for me, whatever you want to call it, I think writing in this genre because is very challenging, right? Because there are a lot of the details and characterization that, you know, how I'm not some of the, you know, that expression, which I only heard like more recently in, you know, my career, whether you're a pantser or a plotter, you know, and um, I'm not somebody that like plots out stories, but there's more to plot that I had to figure out with this as I was revising 
and the one I'm working out now, I have to see where it's going, which I may be surprised, you know, because it could change. But I have to have an overall picture in a more of a way than I have to know every single thing about the character as much as I would pay attention to as I did before, if that makes sense, right? I would focus more on characterization. And then, and I still do the delete plot comes from character, but I think there's a little bit more of what the balance is and, you know, and the tension and timing and how fast things are. Yeah. So there's a lot of elements that are true with every book, but I think that I've had to just become more aware of it, not only as a writer, but as somebody who's like helping others to see these things in their own writing and stuff like that. So thank you so much. It was such an honor to speak with you about this about this novel and once and I'm again, a huge fan of your show and everything you do and you. No, it's great no it's wonderful thank thank you for saying I really appreciate that so thank you so much for speaking with us so if you want to tell everybody where they can follow you where they can find the book and all sure. of that so you can find the book I was very excited to see you could even get it in a target but anyway um you could get it at your local bookstore which I say support them um you can get it on like you know Bigger sites, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, all that. And so it's available and there's the audiobook and Kindle and whatever. Um, but if you want to follow me or get my newsletter, you could just go to tmdunauthor.com. And that also will give you events that I'll be doing. And, and I, and I also share other things about other writers and all that stuff. But my website is tmdun, or if you want to write me, you can write me through there, tmdunauthor.com. And um, yeah, and for those who may get mixed up, if you knew my other name, my website shows up as Patricia Dunn Author too. But anyway, and if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm Patricia Dunn Author. Awesome. Yes. And I will include a link to the website also in the show notes so people can just yeah, go there and see it too. So thank you again. It was such an honor speaking with you. So thank you. Oh, thank you. This is so wonderful. And it's the first interview I've done around the book. So oh, yay. Oh, hey. well, I feel yeah. honored about thank that you. then. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, TM Dunn, for sitting down with me and talking to me about your wonderful new novel, Her Father's Daughter. Please see the link in the show notes for more information. Make sure to get your copy today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod on Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one on Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod on TikTok at it's a fandom thing pod. If you would like to be a potential interview guest on the show, please feel free to reach out to us via our website. It's a fandomthingpod.com. Click the contact us button there. That'll shoot me an email and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black lives matter and stop Asian hate. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.